2: Your
0: Good morning listeners, welcome to Thursday morning breakfast. <laughs> um, you're joined this morning by me, Malika, Inez, Priya and Leela in the other studio as well. Good morning. Good morning. Um, how's everybody going today? Pretty
3: good. (laughs) I'm heavily caffeinated,
0: so that will probably help.
1: Incredible. Incredible. That's the only way to be. Um, I think this morning was the first ride in where I started noticing the cold on my hands. Um, so things are starting to turn. We're moving into, we're moving from AEDT to AEST, uh, this Friday going, uh, daylight savings is ending. Oh, it's starting. Whichever one, whenever it changes.
0: I never know either. Yeah, dark. neither. I,
1: I don't know if we gain or lose. I think we gain an hour. We right? gain an hour. Yes.
0: Because back.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. Um, we got a big show on today as usual. Um, how about I kick off this... Oh, actually, does somebody else want to kick off the I rundown? Can I'll read off. the second one.
0: Yes. We're starting off um, with a really amazing interview. We are joined by Wick Gorey, Um who is joining us again to speak about the Beyond Bricks and Bars Transgender Diverse Decarceration Project, which is continuing to fundraise support to support VITAL's work with trans and gender diverse people impacted by the criminal punishment system and to reflect on trans liberation and abolition on Transgender Day of Visibility. WIT is a white trans social worker who has worked alongside communities impacted by criminalisation and incarceration for the past decade. They have been building beyond bricks and bars over the past three years, providing direct support to trans and gender diverse people incarcerated at risk of incarceration and those re-establishing life after prison.
1: Yeah, WIT is absolutely incredible. And I encourage people, I mean, we'll plug this again, but to look up... Beyond Bricks and Bars on CHUFT, I believe, where you can donate to the initiative. It's Transgender Day of Visibility, and the intersection of visibility and violence for trans people is incredibly real, so please donate if you can. Um, We'll also be joined by Tishiko King, who's a proud Kulkalug woman with connections to Musig and Badu Islands, and who is the campaign director at Seed Mob. And Tish joins us today to discuss Seed Mob's upcoming Heel Country Summit, which will be held this weekend to bring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people from around the country together to discuss working together for climate justice and the summit's going to feature the panel land black uh, sorry land back is a climate solution this saturday the 2nd of april from 6 to 7 30 p.m and you can find out more at seedmob.org.au forward slash land underscore back underscore panel so i hope everybody will have registered by the time tish is on the phone
3: and then we'll be joined by Enja, who's an artist, producer, and writer, and they joined us today to speak on Up's event, Tell Me About It, which is tomorrow, um, the 1st of April. And Pussup was actually founded by Enja and 3 very own Murshti, and this dual event begins with a written and spoken word performances at 5pm, which transitions into an after-party um, when the sun goes down at 8pm, all at miscellanea.
0: We are then joined by Thomas Feng, who is a community advocate for anti-racism and young people in Nam. They join us today to speak on how young Chinese Australians can navigate conversations with family about politics and being a guest on SBS Radio's new podcast, Chinese-ish, hosted by Wing Kwong and Mark Yin. And then lastly, we'll be um, joined by... Councilwoman Rhonda Garrett, who is the Councillor for Greater Dandenong Council in the Keysborough South Ward. They are a health professional currently working as a lecturer and researcher at Monash University with a PhD in health policy, and they join us to discuss the 2022 federal budget and asylum seeker intake. So, phew, what a massive show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we head into news headlines, we'll just probably jump into a CSA. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on the Thursday Morning Breakfast Show, and Priya will now read the headlines for this week.
1: Yep. So these are the news headlines for the 31st of March. The federal government handed down their budget this week, and community organizations and advocates have described the budget as one that delivers, quote, too much assistance to those who don't need it and too little to those who do, and one that offers temporary fixes rather than permanent solutions. Despite naming it the cost-of-living budget, the government failed to deal with the biggest cost-of-living issue, housing, and rather delivered housing measures that will likely increase costs for people on low incomes. Overall, advocates warn that the temporary cost-of-living relief measures will not help those hit the hardest. This includes asylum seekers and temporary visa holders who were excluded from payments and whose settlement support services also received a 13% cut. Also in budget news, The budget presented cuts to the Commonwealth Ombudsman, which monitors Australia's immigration detention system, and cut funding to the Human Rights Commission. Disability and aged care advocates say that the budget is lean in areas that most need support, including improving aged care wages to support desperate staff. Mental health advocacy groups say social support and early intervention for priority cases, including LGBTQIA people and First Nations people, have missed out. In other news, findings from a scathing Senate inquiry report say wage theft in Australia is systemic and sustained, amounting to more than $6 billion a year, and that workers are often too scared to speak out in fear of repercussions. The Senate committee has made recommendations for changes to the Fair Work Act to outlaw wage theft, which would apply to all employee remuneration, including overtime, leave allowances and superannuation guarantees. The report highlights particular protections for migrant workers who typically have low levels of union membership and are more vulnerable to deliberate underpayment by employers. These have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 31st of March, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Now, before we leave the headlines, I just wanted to remind people again, it is Transgender Day of Visibility today, and um, it is so important to make sure that we are supporting, um, you know, supporting trans people, not just to survive, but to thrive in our communities, and um, And that means, you know, donating to initiatives like Beyond Bricks and Bars. So, again, you can find Beyond Bricks and Bars, which is a trans and gender diverse decarceration project at chuffed.org.au. So just by looking up Beyond Bricks and Bars, there's also the Incarcerated Trans and Gender Diverse Community Fund, which uh, supplies – Funding, um, I guess, to support people who are trans and gender diverse to access supplies that they might need in, you know, while, while they're in the prison system. So this means, you know, topping up uh, money that they have for their buy up, making sure that they can access, um, you know, essential things like underwear, clothes, that kind of stuff. So you can look up incarcerated trans and gender diverse fund uh, on GoFundMe. And also, uh, Transgender Victoria is raising funds for uh, Trans Day of Visibility as well. I'm not sure if the fundraiser closes today or has closed, but you can donate at any time to Transgender Victoria just by Googling Transgender Victoria, and there should be details on their website as well. So uh, important to support all of these organizations and initiatives doing amazing work to uplift and um, improve the lives of trans people in our community. every Monday
4: at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced Produced by Jan.
1: You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is 7.11 in the morning. And, um, you know, as I just mentioned, it is Transgender Day of Visibility. And in light of that, we organized an interview with Wit Gary who joined us again to speak about the Beyond Bricks and Bars Trans and Gender Diverse Decarceration Project, which is continuing to fundraise to support vital work with trans and gender diverse people impacted by the criminal punishment system. And also, in light of the day, to reflect on trans liberation and abolition. Wit is a white trans social worker who has worked alongside communities impacted by criminalization and incarceration for the past decade. Hi, Wit. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, our regular listeners will have heard us speak about Beyond Bricks and Bars uh, previously and also encourage donations. But for people who aren't familiar with your work, can you tell us about Beyond Bricks and Bars? How did it begin and why did you start doing this work? Sure.
5: I'd firstly like to acknowledge I'm on Wurundjeri country today um, and pay my respects to elders past and present um, and also acknowledge the part, the massive part that the carceral system has had in the colonisation of this continent um, and the impact it has on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and particularly in the work I do um, Aboriginal trans women, sister girls um, and trans men, um, brother boys. Yeah, so Beyond Bricks and Bars was something that started three years ago. So uh, when I first started doing work in Victorian prisons, so originally I did work up in Queensland um, and then came down here and started doing some work in the prisons down here. And there was a couple of requests for support from trans people where I was working and none of the, the staff there had capacity to take up the referrals. And given I was already in the prison, um, and as a trans person, I was like, I'm more than happy to, to meet with whoever is requesting support and see, see what I can do. So I met initially with one trans woman over three years ago now. And then literally word of mouth. So she said, oh, you know, I know, um, this Aboriginal trans woman, she really needs some support. Um, and then, you know, I met her and then it was sort of like just more and more people started sort of putting forward other people that had also asked for support. And then over the years, um, it's built with, you know, referrals coming from lawyers, um, sometimes prison staff, but most commonly from trans people. Um, yeah, word of mouth across the prisons. And so I, yeah, I started doing that support work as a side, a side thing voluntary, um, to my paid work and did that for, yeah, just, just up to three years. And then, um, basically the demand has got so much that it just, it wasn't realistic or sustainable to keep, um, doing it as a bit of a side volunteer gig. It was just too much. So after having a crack at a few grants and getting very close to getting them, me unsuccessful had to get a bit creative, and at the same time of brainstorming what creative possibilities there were. Um, Transgender Victoria also stepped up and awarded us a, a ten thousand dollar grant to the project, which was the first formal funding it had ever received. Um, so that was something that was really affirming, particularly coming from Transgender Victoria, and they've been super supportive of the project. And then from there, I um, went live with a crowdfunder basically online, and It just got a huge amount of support, like the amount of people that got behind it really quickly was just, it was really beautiful actually just to see and to be able to tell trans people inside, there's all this support in the community and people are um, really hearing about what the issues you're experiencing are and the need for support and are literally putting money um, towards it from their own pocket. So within sort of a few weeks, maybe within sort of a month of fundraising, I'd, had enough to step down from my other role and step up into this role three days a week as a, as an employed social worker um, and be able to fully focus on the demand uh, that was coming in and the amount of people that were needing support and actually meet the support needs with much more capacity. Um, So then it became a formalized project um, and I was working another project at Flat Out at the time, which is an organization that has supported um particularly women in prison down here in Victoria um for over thirty years and um they've been really supportive and really wanting to do more work supporting not just trans women but other trans identified people and gender diverse people. So they said they would be more than happy for the project to be located um there and, and be able to have support of other um, other people working in it from an abolitionist perspective. That's really important to me and to the project and to ensure its integrity going forward. Um, so they've really yeah, allowed the project to continue to grow in its own way. When I put forward the crowdfunder for funding, there was 16 people engaged in support and we've just hit 29. So that's in six months, um, almost doubled um, the amount of um, requests and like people being supported by the project yeah it's a quite a lot to juggle um, and it's you know at the moment I think we're working across six prisons across Victoria and then also post release support so people um, who are now out or have been able to support people to get out, whether that's on bail parole or just straight release yeah that's sort of that's sort of where it's come from and it's really i mean it's really been directed by people inside in, in having those conversations in building relationships and building trust in hearing what the issues are and um and then developing the project around. Those needs.
1: That is a fantastic summary of the work that you've been doing. And we spoke last year about some of the specific challenges that have been faced by trans and gender diverse community members who are incarcerated and the significant impact that COVID measures have had on their lives. And I'm thinking about things like, you know, not being able to have visitors, being put into lockdowns being subject to pretty terrible COVID safety protocols. And as things have started opening up again, how's the situation changed for some of the people that you work with inside in terms of, yeah, some of those concerns?
5: It's still very slow. Um, so con- I think uh, family visits are just starting to recommence. And for some people, they haven't seen their family since March 2020. There's been periods where the restrictions around visits have eased. But a lot of people, you know, the conversations I've had with some of the women inside, like one woman, you know, her main support is her grandmother. And for her grandmother to go see her, it's a four-hour drive. And even when the restrictions eased a bit, they only had the visits for an hour. um, She wasn't allowed to hug her. She had to wear a mask. There was no physical contact. And, you know, she just said, I can't justify making my grandmother drive four hours for a visit where she can't even give me a hug. Um, the last I heard, someone had a visit with their mum the other day and um, they were able to, to hug. Generally in the prisons, you know, if things leave up in the community, it takes, you know, a couple of months before the, the easing comes into the prison. But we're slowly starting to see it, um, which is going to have a, a huge impact on on people's wellbeing, um, especially people who have children who haven't been able to see their kids, you know, for a really long time. There's some things that COVID has allowed some flexibility with, um, like Zooms, you know, it was very, it was, you couldn't really organize Zooms before COVID and now, now you can. So that, you know, for some people that's been quite helpful. Um, but, you know, the last couple of months in the prisons have been really full on. We're talking lockdowns for two weeks straight for some places. Because particularly when we had that the latest wave come through, you know, and we were seeing the restrictions there in the community and the amount of numbers of cases that we we've seen particularly here in Victoria escalate, um it meant that either there were cases in the prison or officers were on leave, and there's a certain you know if they don't have enough officers to run a unit they they lock the whole unit down until they do and so when you've got whole groups of officers isolating because of exposure in the community or even in the prison, you know, you have people locked in their cells just because they don't have enough staff. It's been really, really full on for people. Support services have not been able to go there face to face, which, you know, has a real impact as well in terms of just efficiency of support and isolation, you know, and prisons are so isolating for all people, but especially for trans and gender diverse people where, you know, there's there's very few people that might have an understanding of your experience in that environment. Um, so just not being able to connect with loved ones in community is um is severely detrimental for for people's well being. Not to mention, you know, the the types of, you know, there's a fair bit of use of solitary confinement in the COVID restrictions so you know if you have to leave the prison for a doctor's appointment or a hospital appointment or whatever you have to go into the community when you come back you have to isolate automatically for 14 days and it was still 14 days even when the isolation periods in the community were only week or um or that sort of thing and and also a, a few people expressed frustration because officers would be with them and they wouldn't need to isolate so just those sorts of things that you know were kind of like much harsher punishment even when the community standards had changed, the the prison was still having these really extreme um, COVID responses.
1: It's Transgender Day of Visibility, and I was hoping that you might tell us a bit about your thoughts on this in light of the work that you do and the decarceration aspect of Beyond Bricks and Bars, and maybe a bit about the relationship between trans liberation and abolition.
5: Yeah, so I think, you know, when we look at the history of the trans and gender diverse community, the name for this project is actually tied to that. So um the project's name is Beyond Bricks and Bars, and obviously Bars is a reference to prisons. The brick element is directly linked to Stonewall um, and the incredible trans women, Sylvia and Marsha, yeah, who, you know, really led the way in terms of, uh, pushing back against policing, pushing back against the violence of the carceral state um, and the targeting of trans people, the targeting um, of, of our bodies and our identities by prison and police. So that's, yeah, the re- reason why the project's named what it is, is to really give reference to that history because it's really important that we don't forget that history. And it is something that is so integral to our ability to imagine ourselves and different worlds. And abolition is very much about imagining worlds where, you know, we address harm in ways that actually address harm and that cause more harm and we are able to live safely. I think, you know, Angela Davis really recently spoke about this in terms of the ways in which our community, trans and gender diverse people really give an example of the ways that we can imagine. Like if we can, we can imagine a world where we're abolishing this really binary view of gender and where we're building a world where all of our identities are safe, then we can certainly abolish prisons and policing. But also it's really, really important that when we're looking at addressing harm and forms of violence and transphobia and queerphobia and racism and white supremacy, we have to centre to those that are most impacted by those forms of violence. And when we look in the so-called Australian context, we know that that is Aboriginal transgender women and other transgender women of colour who are disproportionately um, impacted by state violence, by intimate partner violence, by the targeting of, by police. So if we centre those voices, if we centre those experiences, everyone benefits because we're addressing the deepest forms of harm. And if we can address the deepest forms of harm, then we actually all benefit. So, you know, the project is very centred around acknowledging who is most impacted and giving a voice and giving power and building power with the communities, you know, my siblings that are most impacted by these forms of violence. Where
1: can people donate and, and support the work that you're doing?
5: There's the Chuff campaign um, still going. So one of the big aims of the project this year is to employ – so we've got someone coming in for a couple of months just to help with the massive amount of referrals we're getting. So, yeah, that person's just going to do a couple of months. They can just pick the work up and, and assist straight away. But um, what I'm working with is working with one of the trans women inside. She's actually the first woman that I, I worked with down here. She's just finished her certificate in community services. She's doing her aid. To forget at the moment and if things go to plan she might be moving to a prison where she's going to be able to start working on the project come mid-year so that's really one of the big goals of the project at the moment but in order to do that we need to secure more funding so that we can we've got enough funding currently to run the project to the end of the year and then that's it so donations are very very welcomed and also anyone who has any access to grants Please hit me up. But, yeah, you can, um, if you go to Chuffed and you just Google Beyond Bricks and Bars Chuffed Campaign, it'll come up. But also I really want to give a shout-out, particularly on this day, um, to the Incarcerated Trans and Gender Diverse Fund so that's a fund that me and a few other people set up. Um, there's a committee that oversees it that are all trans and gender diverse people, um, a number who have been inside themselves. And that fund provides direct material aid, financial aid to trans and gender diverse people currently in prison and those returning home to the community, Um, and that is a nationwide fund. Any person in any state or territory in so-called Australia can access that funding, and we also top up a lot of prison accounts for people on a monthly basis to help people buy all their buy-ups, underwear, toiletries, um, food, phone calls, all that sort of stuff. There's a GoFundMe for that, but um, I can also give you the direct bank details uh, for that if you want to list that.
1: Yeah, we can pop Um, them in the show notes. So people, head to the show notes. There'll be information about Beyond Bricks and Bars and the Incarcerated Trans and Gender Diverse Fund. Um, And yeah, you'll be able to donate there. And please give generously. But thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thank you. Thanks for making the time.
1: Of
7: course.
0: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and we just heard um, an incredible interview with Priya and Wick Gorey. Wick Gorey joined us again to speak about the Beyond Bricks and Bars Transgender Diverse Decarceration Project, which is continuing to fundraise to support vital works with trans and gender diverse people impacted by the criminal um justice punishment system and to reflect on trans liberation and abolition on transgender day of visibility and if you check out our show notes as well we will have links to the different organizations and gofundme pages um, that they spoke about
1: Donations to TransFamily are tax-deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. TransFamily is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. And we are now going to be joined by Tishiko King, who's a proud Kokolag woman with connections to Masig and Badu Islands and who is the campaign director at Seed Mob. And Tish joins us today to discuss SeedMob's upcoming Heel Country Summit, which will be held this weekend to bring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people together from around the country to discuss working for climate justice. And the summit's also going to feature the panel "Landback is a Climate Solution, uh, which is this Saturday, the 2nd of April from 6 to 7.30 p.m. AEST. So Tish is going to speak with us about that right now. Good morning, Tish.
8: Good morning, Priya. Thank you so much for having me on, on today's show. Yeah, of course.
1: Um, before we start talking about uh, the summit, would you mind introducing yourself in a little more detail?
8: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, before I also begin, um, all you folks tuning in today, I'd like to just acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that which I live, work and meet and pay and respect to the elders, past, present, and those merging uh, in our communities across this nation and acknowledge the many footprints of those who have gone before us and honor their contributions to culture, community, and the climate justice movement. And so Priya would have just introduced me a little bit, but hi, everyone. I'm Tish. Um, I am a proud Kukalug woman from the islands of Masu, cultural nation, the mid known as the Torres Strait. Um, and I'm a campaigner over at Seedmob, and organiser with Our Islands on Home. It's a really privileged to be a part of shifting the narrative about, um, you know, climate justice and that you can't have um, climate justice without First Nations justice. And, I mean, a really great, you know, introduction to sort of, you know, what's coming up and, you know, the moment that we are right in. And so, um, you know, uh, Priya, you mentioned that we are having our Here Country Summit this weekend, which is super deadly, but um, without an incredible um, panel that where allies are able to tune in.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I mean, this kind of work is so important. And for people that aren't familiar I guess, or you know, who haven't spent that much time thinking about the connections between Indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. I was wondering if you could unpack why it's so important to center Indigenous peoples when taking action on climate change.
8: Absolutely, and it goes back to sort of, you know, how we got here in the first place and what what led to that. And we, you know, it's really important to understand like those roots. Colonial contracts and so for despite centuries of sustained oppression against our existence of First Nations people It is First Nations people who have retained our traditions Our distinct cultures our economic and political structures and through centuries of oppression Colonization and that attempt to assimilation. It's our people Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have survived and Persevered and so Well, I think it's really important to understand, like, you know, we're seeing these incredible climate shifts in our communities. And already under this, like, in the last couple of years, we've seen crazy bushfires, destruction of sacred and cultural sites, and flash floods that are actually continuing to start up again. And so we know that we are all being impacted by by climate change, but we're actually disproportionately affected. Torres Strait Islander people, and especially like young people, are part of the oldest continuing culture in the world and have lived in harmony with our land for generations. But right now, that uh, that climate change is disproportionately affecting our communities and our people, where we how are we experiencing sea levels rising and in inundation in the Torres Strait and the, you know, uh, our waters and rivers diminishing in our regional communities? You know, we've got lots of sacred country, diminishing food and broader, uh, water accessibility. And so it's so important that when we talk about that climate, like it's not about climate action, it's about that climate justice because of the people that and communities that it's impacted and those that contribute that to our emissions that actually hit first and worst and so um that's why i you know a really good segue into you know what this weekend will bring and the conversations that we'll have and be able to share um and i'm super excited about it priya yeah
1: mm-hmm. absolutely i mean Tell us a bit more about the the Heal Country Summit overall, and and that significance of bringing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people together to collaborate on this work. Because I know it's it's so important to be able to have these discussions, and especially um, wanted to hear about your thoughts on the significance of having that that age range people from I think it's 15 to 35 young people um, to, to to come together about this.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And so I probably should have given more context out there. Um, For those folks that are new and tuning in and actually don't know who Seed Mob are, we are Australia's first and only youth-led Indigenous climate network. And we are a grassroots movement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people across the country that are coming together to take action on the impact, impact and causation of climate change. And so this weekend... We are gathering, um, over a hundred young people online together to actually reactivate that conversation as it's been, you know, tough for all communities across the nation. It's been, um, challenging to be able to have that deep connection with our modern communities. And so we are really excited. And at Food, we run campaigns to stop destructive fossil fuel projects to protect our country, our culture, and our future. We also run these trainings across the country, which is what this weekend will be. And so I think it is really important to understand that significance of why we do centre it around young people, Priya, because it is actually young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that will inherit the consequences of the decisions made today, and especially decisions that have impacted our communities and culture and our traditions from you know uh, uh the, the the history of how we were um colonized here and so by you know, we are shifting that narrative on climate justice and really dismantling the social license of fossil fuels through our grassroots organizing. And by using the lessons and the tools, um, you know, this weekend at the summit, creating those conversations to connect our values and strengthen the support for urgent action on climate justice and generate that outrage and unjust political influence of the fossil fuel industry. And, you know, we're looming on an election Year, and it's a it, we want to empower our young people, and you know their importance of why, um, you know their vote should count, mm-hmm. like why our vote counts and why our vote is important. And look, it's not just you know young First Nations people; it's all young First Nations people. We continue to see, uh, you know, this current government, you know, make these decisions. Uh, that will impact our future where we don't have a seat at the table. And so by, you know, bringing these young people together and, you know, activating these conversations, really empower us to, you know, when, in the next coming months, really take the streets and, like, have those critical conversations with our MPs, with our communities, because we're all seeing the shifts out here. and. Mm-hmm. We all really need to do our part to just really shift the narrative and make our leaders accountable for our future.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, as we've seen in this most recent federal budget as well, there's been just like a shameful lack of investment in climate action and climate resilience. So really, that call uh, for people to get involved in these conversations and to get active in, you know, pressuring elected officials is really, really important. Um, and in light of that, you've got this uh, Land Back is the Climate Solution panel that's going to be held during the Heel Country Summit on Saturday, 2nd of April. And this is open to the public public. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the panelists um, and the plan for this panel? What's going to be discussed?
8: Uh, it's going to be super incredible. My brother, Jesse Mosby, who's one of our uh, claimants at Our Islands Are Home will be, uh, one of the incredible claimants, but we have, a uh, panelists, sorry, but we have some, um, our incredible friends from Indigenous Canadian Network, um, over in Turtle Island and friends of communities from the Standing Rock, um, uh, regions and, uh, communities out there. And so it will be a really powerful conversation about how we continue to sh- uh well we they continue to share their story their leadership on how they've led in their community to really fight for change and you know protect their homes and their communities both um, from really different areas and I think it'll just really give perspective that you know this story not just only happens here it actually is you know, something that is significant across all Indigenous peoples globally, and so this land back, we'll be talking about. You know how you know, stepping it back to that First Nations justice, that Indigenous justice, and that as you know, we make up. Um, indigenous people make up 5% of the population, world population. We look after 80% of its biodiversity. And it's about, you know, the moment that we're in and how we need to shift away from that industrial civilization that was, you know, that we are sort of still dependent on as humans and really shift back to being connected. Uh, with our land and our rivers and our islands and, you know, to that ecological civilization where we live in harmony. Um, and it's not about, you know, um, it's like taking from land, it's about belonging. And so it's about just, sh- you know, it'd be really incredible and powerful to hear how they have, you know, sh- you know, shifted the narrative and be able to share their story and make great ways
1: yeah and um, I think also really important for people to recognize that and I think we saw this a lot in the in the wake of the bushfire season it's not about you know just extracting what's uh you know what's useful at the time from indigenous knowledges about land management once you realize that you stuffed up it's actually about centering indigenous knowledges and land management practices and um, putting indigenous leadership first on these issues and taking that very very seriously Um, tish thanks so much for telling us about this incredible work where can people find out more about and support seed mobs work and also rsvp for the panel
8: yeah, that would be really incredible. Uh look, if you actually had to um like dot a u uh slash your country underscore con- uh yeah, summit. Um, but I feel like that's too long, so just head to our socials. It's in our link trees. You'll be able to navigate really easily through Instagram, um, or our website, um, and Facebook um otherwise click on our post and they'll have links there but it'd be really incredible um you know to tune in um and so i all encourage you to be a part of um learning and um being a part of supporting Seed thank you so much priya i'm gonna ask for having me here today and i look forward to yarning with you soon
1: yeah absolutely always a pleasure to have you on tish hope you have a great day
8: yeah you too yeah all well, my friends
1: And that was Tishiko King who is a proud Kokolug woman with connections to Masig and Badu Islands and who is the campaign director at Seed Mob. And she joined us today to discuss Seed Mob's upcoming Heel Country Summit, which is going to be held this weekend and brings together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people from around the country to discuss working together for climate justice. And as we just discussed, the summit's going to feature the panel Land Back is a Climate Solution, which is going to be held this Saturday, the 2nd of April, for- from 6 to 7.30 p.m. AEST, and you can find out more at seedmob.org.au forward slash land underscore back underscore panel, or as Tish said, you can just look up Seedmob's socials and find information there. So it is 7.41 on Thursday breakfast.
7: PX Whano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID 19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQ communities through meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series every Sunday during Out of the Pan at around 12.30pm or on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Program. For more information, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Out of the Pan. Hi
5: hey, you mob. It's the simple, everyday things we can all do that will help protect our families and community from coronavirus, like wearing a mask when required, catching up outside if we can, keeping indoor spaces well ventilated, with windows and doors open as much as possible, and getting tested if we feel unwell. Let's keep being COVID safe every day. To find out more, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.
1: A 3CR supporter.
2: Bright black man, proud black man you should not wonder
4: Strong spirit, First Nations issues, families, people and stories from a First Nations perspective Mondays at 1pm on 3CR Proud
2: black man, proud black man you should not wonder
4: Tune in to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice.
2: 8.30am Wednesday, 7am
7: Saturday.
3: Or listen on demand on 3CR's website,
4: 3cr.org.au.
3: Today we are joined by Enja, who is an artist, writer and producer of Bad Artists Presents. And as a writer, they write self-described sardonic pieces and claims poetry as Uh, Sorry, (laughs) prose as poetry. And they join us today to speak on the Puss Up Tell Me About It event tomorrow, Friday the 1st of April. And the event begins with written and spoken word performances from 5pm, which transition during sundown at 8 into a dance party filled with incredible DJs all at Miscellanea. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Thursday Breakfast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I know that you were probably up late <laughs> last night trying to figure a lot of this out, so I appreciate you taking the time uh, to oh, come no speak no with worries. us. Oh, <laughs> no Yeah. Um, well, maybe we can start off with uh, Puss Up itself, because I know that it was founded by yourself and 3 very Varyon Marishti, who is the founder of Salaam Radio Show. Um, would you mind explaining maybe what Puss Up is and how it came to be?
6: Yeah, I would love to. Um, It was honestly two brown women talking to each other about everything, about our experiences as brown women in the arts, our careers, our love life and friendships with white settlers, or just as men. For me, as a young trans mass person who can't leave behind his womanhood because there are too many personal experiences in my life and around it, Mm -hmm. uh, despite tokenization changing the industries for us brown and black folk, we're still falling to the cracks. Our mothers and matriarchs are still out there trying to earn respect after doing all they've done. So we want all women to be able to chill out in the methods they please. So, Marushdi came to me and said, let's do a party called Puss Up. And I said, hell yes. And damn anyone who wants to label this as turkey. All women, all trans people, no matter what they called us first, we deserve to fill our own bodies. We deserve to be proud of everything our motherland has enjoyed women are allowed to be proud of our work, we're allowed to be proud of our dicks, we're allowed to be proud of despite the constant backpedal on human rights on any given land around our global community, we're allowed to pussy up and enjoy ourselves while poetically screaming, I don't want to feel bad anymore.
3: And that's what got us started. It sounds like a really um, important space to cultivate and um, I think one of the the best events always will happen when it's unexpected and when two people are just talking. Um, yeah. I also love that the event that you're putting on is a transitional event. Um, I don't think I've seen that very, very often. It feels like it was really made for maximum enjoyment. Um, would yeah, you mind maybe sure. speaking on um, maybe what people can expect from the initial written and spoken word? Performances, and then maybe what the after party will be like as well.
6: I'd love to. Well, yeah, all our previous events have been a blend of visual art and dance music at local bars, at both Northside and West. It's mm-hmm. been really cool, but very small. This time we're going huge. Uh, while asking, but what about people who want to hear their art and sprawl their body to a slapping bass? So all the writers of us have made me feel something in their text, however varied they are from each other. And to distinguish each writer, I've asked my friend, Subject Delta, to play the dàn It's a native Vietnamese 18-string instrument. It's so pretty. And his strumming will interact with the flow of each writer as he sits in the middle of the audience to ground them. Since I've asked each writer to be brave with their work, whether it's on love and romance or just sex and sluttiness, the writers are telling us about their observations in life and its textual equations. We've even got some prank interactive poetry being performed and a writer exploring virtual realities. So it really is a blended event. And once we feel our words, we get to shake it off as we transition into a sexy, fun dance party with diverse genres being played, ranging from trap, sub, oriental beats to house. We'll be snapping to lots of pussy empowerment music.
3: Yeah, it sounds like being able to... Like connect emotionally with a piece and then being able to dance it off (laughs) uh, and connect uh, with everybody around there Uh, feels like it would be a really wonderful space to be in and I also know that you've been listed as one of the writers who will be reading at the event. I guess when you were writing um, was there anything you really wanted to highlight or stay with the audience while you were writing the piece?
6: Hmm let a gal say who she's mad at and don't mind her, or silence and anger. It comes from somewhere.
3: Yeah. Do you want to, Um like, were you, are, will you be doing like a spoken word or um, like a written one, or is it like a blend of both?
6: Yeah, I, I personally will be doing a blend of poetry and spoken word. Um, I grew up preaching in a church, so yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very, um, uh, Contemporary appropriated Pentecostal to be secular, yep <laughs> um, but yeah, I go into identity myself um, and frustrations with disrespectful social occurrences. Um, uh, my end will be a blend, but there's so many different writers that are doing poetry or spoken word
3: as well. have you found um like when you have performed written or like spoken word before that you um does it feel a little bit scary to be vulnerable or is it um, I guess how do you feel connected with the audience in that way cuz I feel like I would be <laughs> a little bit scared
6: <laughs> Totally um I actually uh, yeah well cuz I've been uh preaching at a church from about the age of 11 and like on the streets doing evangelism and things like that I suppose I've already had uh that fear taken away from me or mm-hmm. uh trained out of I suppose um, but the moment for me was um, I got to go to Miami uh, a few times and speak at a open mic, and when I was doing a piece, the way that the crowd I was with just like fell into silence when I was speaking, even though before the whole crowd was talking um, my, before my set. I think just like noticing to be able to do that in a different land, away from where I'm used to, and around new people, it's like oh, okay. I can do this, I can hold a space,
3: cool. Yeah, being able to, uh, I guess, hold that vulnerability and I feel like there's nothing that is, honestly has more strength in it than being that vulnerable (laughs) in front of an entire audience and then dancing it off with everybody as well. Um, And I think, you know, looking at the event, it's clear that you and Rushdie have really um, tried to put in consideration into making the event as uh, inclusive as you can, Um, what do you think you think about when you're trying to make a more safe and inclusive event?
6: Personally, I don't believe in safe spaces. Inclusive, sure, but what is the intersection of people being included into? To make a safe place, uh, one would have to reverse colonial structures, change the way our families and their families were taught to welcome others. Safe is not a two-dimensional occurrence. It requires a lot of nuance and uncomfortable boundary setting to meet the needs of safety. I think it's important to openly acknowledge the state of our world and our communities, and that's how we can be inclusive, understanding what other people have gone through so we know how to hold appropriate behaviour around any given person, ask for hugs and be okay with a note. So inclusive and knowledgeable beyond oneself. I think that's how Puss Ups events will continue to be supportive to its audiences and not add to ongoing harm in our society. That's why we play around with abrasive language and awkward grammar with messy artistic practices. We're purposefully navigating a crowd that will understand that we want to be sexy, we want to be loud, we want to talk about our lives, Without an expectation of nicely putting up with people that will easily get offended at our bodies, our methods of coping with colonial and diasporic experiences, nor at our desires to be proud of the life we've all created despite our path.
3: Yeah. Um, well, thank you for thank you for sharing. I know that that definitely is um, insightful. I know it's yeah a difficult thing to make an event fully safe, um, but yeah, I, I I think being able to Think about those things and how people are welcomed into space i think definitely is important um maybe just finally to wrap up uh, how can people support for and the featured artists as well as buy tickets to the event
6: well they can come along first of all mm-hmm. or there is a donation option at ticket checkout to help us get this party situated and continuous so we can really make this project give back to our community writing and music compilation as you said it's vulnerable it's just little bits of people sharing their souls and Mm -hmm. i think that's worthy of pay um and to you know when someone shares their soul with you and you get something out of it but we do have an instagram account with links to tickets and our artist's bio and profile apps or you can search us up on the humanetics platform Puss up and tell me about it because these girls have something to say
3: Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Enja. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, Anna. Thank you. Bye. You were just joined by Inja, and you can buy tickets for tomorrow's Puss Up event, Tell Me About It, on Friday the 1st of April uh, via Humanetics, showing up at the door. Uh, and performances will be at Miscellanea from 5 p.m., and then transitioning into an after party when the sun goes down at 8 p.m.
1: You're listening to Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 a.m. and it is 755 in the morning. We're going to go to a track now. Um, you know, in light of it being trans day of visibility, we're going to listen to Alter, um, Alter Boy. And this song is Act of God. Um, I encourage listeners to also, uh, look up the beautifully shot video. Three members of the band are deaf and all songs are perform- performed in Auslan or Australian Sign Language. So please, please go watch this as well later, but this is Act of God by Alterboy. Boy.
3: Hello, um, you have just heard Alter Boy's song "Act of God," uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful song. Definitely check out the video as well. And today we are joined by Thomas Feng. Um, who is a community advocate for anti-racism and young people based in Nam? They join us today to speak on how young Chinese Australians can navigate conversations with family about politics, particularly important during an upcoming federal election. And being a guest on SBS's new podcast Chinese-ish, which is hosted by Wing Quan and M- Markian. Thank you so much for joining me here t- today, Thomas. <laughs>
9: Good morning, Ines, and um, happy Trans Day visibly to all the trans folks out there today as
3: well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, well, how about we start off, because I'm sure we have <laughs> lots to cover in this conversation <laughs> about family. Um, would you mind maybe speaking on why talking about politics with your family has been important to you and is just important full stop?
9: Yeah, I guess um, talking about politics with my family has been important to me because it's also helped me understand my parents' stories and experiences. Mm. Um, they they grew up in China. I've grown up in Australia. And I guess there's always been additional barriers, whether that's cultural or language, as well as generational gaps. So I guess conversations about politics have been um, a gateway to understanding their upbringing and their experiences, um, and also, like... And someone from a Chinese family, like, Chinese families are really, really hard to crack. Yes. <laughs> like, it's really hard to, like, have meaningful conversations about experiences. Um, they're, they're few and far between, and so politics has been a vehicle for that. Um, and in general, I think politics is important. Talking about politics is important because it has the power to shape how we as a society treat other people, um, and particularly, you know, people at the margins. And I believe that's really, really important at the moment um, because pandemic has been incredibly precarious and has only reinforced um, systemic inequality um, and, you know, reinforced more inhumane policies. And and, um, I think it's only through conversations that we're going to be able to change that.
3: Yeah, I think uh, saying that politics as a vehicle of understanding during conversation is really beautiful um, and definitely difficult and (laughs) challenging as well. (laughs) Um, I know that in the podcast episode on SBS's Chinese-ish you spoke about disagreeing with your family in regards to border policies being inhumane, a tale I think, unfortunately, many of our listeners may be familiar with. Uh, I guess in your um, in your understanding, where do you think, I guess, this fear of like the us versus them arises from?
9: Yeah, so I guess for the listeners, um, I ended up kind of shouting to my, my parents and older brother around border policies around 10 years ago. Um, I believe that that fear of us versus them, that's always rooted in, like, internalised racism, um, where often, like, whiteness is being superior, whether that's across media, peace standards, you know, even, like, all the walls around us, usually in our homes, like, a lot of them are white. (laughs) Um, Yep. But also, like, internalised racism is the result of, like, historical trauma, um, interracial Interracial, like inter-community racism, mm-hmm. um, colonialism and like fear-mongering in the media, you know, there's so many crimes, of like gangs, invasion, you know, riots. Those are a part of, um, so-called Australia's dark history. And until this point, I don't think there's really been enough spaces where people of colour, Aboriginal people, queer people and other affected groups could actually come together in solidarity. Um, so I guess because of that, you know, that whiteness has sort of insinuated into our communities, and and left people divided rather than um, bringing people together. And I, I think that's ultimately where the us versus them has come from.
3: Yeah, I think um, knowing that it is a whole range of issues, and it's not just one issue. Um, it, you know, everything from the notion of you know skilled migrants to anti-blackness in a lot of our communities as well. Um, yeah, we just I think ha- having to find that. Bridge and being like, you know, we are all coming into this space and in some way a lot of us do have a shared experience of trying to, um, <laughs> trying to just survive in so-called Australia. Um, and I know one thing a lot of our cultures do also have in common is, um, mine included is that elders are deeply, deeply respected. And like you've said, uh, previously, confronting your elders can be really confronting and always not always successful. Uh, I think I'm wondering what what does success in a conversation <laughs> like that even look like?
9: <laughs> yeah, um, totally hear you on the like respecting elders and um, yeah, just trying to make trying to have like meaningful and respectful conversations. <laughs> yeah. um, I think success ultimately is around not ending up in like uh, a, a series of like lecture battles where like <laughs> um, you know, everyone is just like waiting for their turn to just like bamble on for like ten minutes about why they're right and you're wrong. Um, I think success ultimately is about where like your views and their other people's views are discussed in like a respectful and robust manner. You can ask questions, and it's not just about understanding what they think, but why they think that way. Um, like it's often like you know, if someone is Anti-vaxx, there may be a whole range of reasons why, but if, if, you, if you only took it on face value as to like, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer, well, but didn't understand why, then you would never understand how you could potentially change that person's mind or, or why they've made that decision. Um, so I guess it's really important that if we want to change people's hearts and minds around any issue, it's, we, we need to understand their reasons. And so in confronting like elders and others, like, success isn't going to be about changing their minds straight away, it will just be about like, understanding their point of view from a from a deeper perspective and hopefully they they understanding your view. So it's like building like a deeper shared understanding is ultimately I think the goal like in in our communities and um trying to bridge various gaps um conversation by conversation. It, it's not gonna happen all at one in one go.
3: Yeah, I think uh <laughs> sometimes we have a bit of a superhero I think mentality that you're like, I'm gonna have this conversation and it's gonna change their life and all the political killings <laughs> yes. are all gonna change. It's all gonna happen, yes. Uh, <laughs> At going today's to be Christmas dinner. dinner <laughs>
2: yes.
3: Um but yeah, I think what you've also mentioned and something that I've definitely noticed is um with you know being like first or second gen, uh, sometimes people in your family would be like, Well you only see the Western way but I see the Western way and the Indian way, the Western way and the Chinese way. Um, And it feels like that can be a really difficult thing to challenge because it's not really something that you can change. But particularly given, I guess, the power imbalance between um, younger people in the family and older people, uh, how do you think that we can approach these conversations, you know, still with firmness and understanding, but I think also with gentleness and patience?
9: Yes, gentleness and patience important things to like remember when <laughs> you approach these conversations um and, and like you it's often used against me by family I, I guess I also recognize that it is an immense privilege to have been to have grown up here to be educated here to have relatively free access to information and news and but it's also important to acknowledge like our own prejudices and understand whether uh, you really are ignoring part of your culture in these conversations. Like, I'm someone who went to an incredibly white high school. It's the same high school that Shane Warne and Andrew Bolch went to um, and endured bullying on the basis of the colour of my skin growing up. And, you know, we talked about, like, survival, like, just surviving in those spaces, like, just a little bit earlier. And I think I've really begun to scratch the surface on what white supremacy did to my own attitudes on... My own like Chineseness, um, so I guess that's like important to acknowledge first of all. And then the, another thing is to think about like what are the examples in that like your family could relate to when you're talking about like a social issue. What's like another analogy? Like for example, um, you know, I often say in terms of refugees or border policies, like we when, we when we meet someone who's interested in Chinese culture, we want to welcome them, we want to host them. So why wouldn't we do the same? With people who are interested in coming to Australia and, and want to be, I say, want to contribute and want to be, you know, want to contribute their bit to, to the country. Um, and, and finally, I think it's, it's a long road. Like, as I said, it's, um, one conversation is never going to be enough, but I think with enough time, people will hopefully um, understand your side or at least be curious enough. You know, if they're, if they're truly meaningful conversations and you're having um, respectful dialogue I think people will go out of their way to, to find out more or or you can prompt them to find out more by sending them things you've read or or books or, or podcasts or other suggestions you know a personal example is like I've been better or vegan for the most part of like six years and like the first year it was like extremely controversial but now it's like extremely normal in my family and my parents can say that I am healthy and um, I guess their concerns. Uh, or the anger was rooted in fear around like my health, but they can see that i'm I'm happy and I'm healthy, and they can see the benefits themselves now of eating less meat. That wasn't through like one conversation that was just through a series of just like small conversations here or there them understanding my reasons, me understanding why they were really angry, and ultimately now like our acceptance around around the issue,
3: yep. Um, I think being able to, yeah, find examples that kind of people can relate to um, and connect with, I think is a really great strategy. And um, I know that, you know, even a bit of the guilt that comes along with like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't say anything because these are my parents or this is my grandma and they've done so much for me and they migrated here. And um, just being like, okay, well, I'm here now and I have this information and I just need to presented in a way that maybe will be received, um, even if that is a little bit over time. Um,
9: yeah, I, and like, I guess also like, um, it, it's also a chance for like, us as like, people who like, advocate in our communities, mm-hmm. but, like really, like, we're often advocating in like, white spaces, but like, they're, like, our families are an opportunity to actually advocate within other, like, our own communities and, and, and trying things differently. Um, compared to, like, if we we're in spaces with government or spaces that are, are white-dominated. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good opportunity. Like, yes, it's, it can be confronting and it's a bit scary, like, the first few times, but also I think it has real scope to make a meaningful difference within, like, your own family and your own immediate circle, which is a really beautiful thing, I think.
3: Yeah, I think uh, moving away from advocating in white-dominated spaces and doing it in your family uh, is definitely very important, especially within the community. Um, And I think also just lastly, uh, just because there is a federal election coming up and for the past few years with COVID, uh, I think the latest figures from the Asian-Australian Alliance have actually showed that there, I think, were 540 reports of hate crimes against um, Asians and Asian Australians in the past year, including the Indian travel ban, and a lot of that was fueled by racist policies and media, and I think that's something we shouldn't forget with the federal election coming up, um, but how do you think the community has been able to yeah, connect and advocate for one another during this time, and ha- how can um, our listeners also support this?
9: Yeah, um, I guess yeah, the pandemic has shown that we definitely need more solidarity to address racist policies in the media, and I think the formation itself, like the Asian-Australian Alliance and getting a report out <laughs> around
2: mm-hmm.
9: um, Asian hate crimes has created a momentum and space for us to actually come together and, and, and bring, bring other allies on board, like put our stories out there and bring other allies on board. So, you know, we've even had, you know, advocates like Osman Chu calling out instances of people of colour who've been overlooked by white candidates. Um, you know, there is work happening and like we are doing a better job of getting this work documented and, and sharing it around to the community so that, um, it's not just one person having one conversation with, you know, a few other people. It's like, here's a report. Let's use the media. Let's, let's advocate to, to broader Australia and, 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 and try and get some advocacy and support there. Um, I guess also like for some Asians and, and Asian Australians, like, the pandemic has really brought racism from, like, this kind of invisible but, like, present um, thing to, like, very in-your-face kind of incidents. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that, you know, a silver the lining from that is that we'll see more solidarity and in intersectional advocacy with other people of colour, other Aboriginal people, LGBTQA plus people, disabled people and other other rep- underrepresented communities to actually make a difference. Um, yeah, and, and in terms of supporting um, this work, I guess there's there's heaps of grassroots organisations like the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance, um, Liberal Magazine, Black Rainbow. Um, you can just take a look online. Um, and yeah, you can also check out the SBS Radio podcast. That's yeah, um, great. A, a podcast. By young, young Chinese friends or young Chinese Australians
3: as well. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Thomas.
9: Thank you so much.
3: No worries. Bye. Um, you just heard from Thomas Feng, a community advocate who spoke on how young Chinese Australians can navigate challenging conversations with their family about politics. Mm-hmm. For change, we need to show broad community support.
0: Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple.
7: Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter.
0: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM and we are now joined by Councillor Rhonda Garrett who is the Councillor for Greater Dandenong Council in the Keysborough South Ward. They are a health professional currently working as a lecturer and researcher at Monash University with a PhD in health policy and they join us this morning to discuss the 2022 federal budget and asylum seeker intake. Good morning Rhonda. Thank you for joining us this morning.
7: Yeah, good morning. Thank you so much. Great to be here.
0: Um, I guess to start, kick us off this morning, could you share a bit more about the Back Your Neighbour campaign and some of the key objectives? Sure.
7: So the Back Your Neighbour campaign is a coalition of uh, mayors uh, and councils across Australia, mostly from New South Wales, Victoria, and Tasmania, around forty uh, councils who have come together to advocate on behalf of uh, refugees and asylum seekers, many of whom are currently in really dire circumstances without any mis- uh, visible means of support, and uh, this has been going on for you know up to a decade now and it's really reached a point of, of absolute crisis for these people. So our Back Your Neighbour campaign is asking, has four specific asks. We're asking for the replacement of the fast track system with a single refugee status determination process and an independent timely and fair merits review. We want to replace the temporary protection visas with permanent humanitarian visas we want to increase funding to urgently clear the backlog of asylum application and appeals and also we want to give them access to basic services such as medicare income support employment mental health and other vital services
0: yeah thank you for kind of sharing those and So on Tuesday night, the federal government announced their budget, um, and whilst keeping the humanitarian program capped at 13,750 people, the same as the previous two years, it has announced extra places for Afghan nationals. How does this compare with your campaign objectives? So our
7: campaign is, is really focused on um, the refugees that are here. But having said that, um, the Dandenong Council has also been joining in that advocacy to increase the intake, intake for Afghan uh, refugees. So we're we're extremely pleased that um, they have lifted the cap to, you know, 16,500, uh, increased about 16,500 for the Afghan refugees. So we're extremely pleased with that. Um, our campaign is really specifically focused on... Uh, arrivals that are here in our communities as a local government we're very close to our communities we understand the dire situation that um, these people are in for example in Dandenong we have around um, 1200 people on uh, temporary visas and these people's lives are absolutely uh, stuck They're, they're in dire circumstances many cannot work Their children, once they hit 18, no longer have access to education, can't go on to university. Uh, we have, uh, you know, people that cannot get their families out here, so they're 10 years without their partners and their children. Many now are homeless, uh, are only being kept going by the councils and local charities that are providing food. But these people really are destitute. So our campaign is mostly focused on them that are here um, to address this really critical situation. We know that the mental health burden on these people now is really, really profound. Uh, in the Hazara community, Afghan community, in our local area, for example, there have been over 14 suicides in recent times because these people are just in a really, really critical situation with no ending sight. So, because the government has not processed their paperwork and their, their applications, their lives—they cannot get on with their lives. They cannot get on with, uh, you know, getting a house, you know, having a family, having a future. They are—they are really stuck in a horrible, horrible situation.
0: And it also sounds like even when they do get residency or citizenship or whatever kind of more permanent visa there are still other challenges which really impact them like for example access to culturally safe mental health support or even just getting your driver's license or um, trying to find work It, it sounds like this is an ongoing issue that community really needs to rally around
7: Absolutely, and you know, Dan, you know, we're one of the most diverse, um, communities and we try very hard to support, um, uh, you know, our newly arrived members. We, around 2,000 humanitarian refugees, um, settle here, um, you know, every year. So we ha- we do have very strong support systems, but certainly it's a struggle. It's an absolute struggle for them. But it's even harder if you do not have a determination. So if you you know on a temporary visa, you essentially don't exist in anyone any system. So um, it's critical that at least their paperwork is processed that, so that they have um, you know they're recognised uh, as you know having a permanent status, so that they can. You know, at least access services, at least um, you know, be able to get on with their lives. Whilst they're on a temporary visa, their lives really are in absolute you know limbo. So, mm. you know, even accessing health services is very yeah. difficult for them. So, so we really need to just get this, uh, get the, the backlog cleared. We need. We have just spent two days in Canberra talking to 16 politicians um, about the really vital, urgent need to deal with this. Many of them quietly, although they won't say it publicly, are very supportive and understand that this is a critical issue, understand this needs to be addressed. Unfortunately, both parties, both major parties, won't talk overtly about this because they think it is, um, you know, it's unpopular in the community. You know, we strongly disagree with that position. Uh, We saw with the Djokovic um, situation where people became aware that young men were being locked up in hotels. There was tremendous outrage in the community about that, that, that you know, a decade of these men's lives were being taken and they were being locked behind, you know, um, locked in a hotel for no for no reason. Many, most of those men in that hotel have refugee status. They are not a threat to the community. Uh, There is no reason for them to be locked in hotels. Uh, There's no reason for the 1,200, many of the 1,200 uh, uh, people that are living here not to have their their paperwork processed. Um, There is no political gain for this. It's just a cruel and unnecessary uh, policy and we feel that the community are very much outraged by this. So we think that, uh, you know, politics have got this wrong however um, hopefully many of them say p- that quietly behind the scenes that uh, you know uh, after the election they will um, start processing a lot of the um, uh, uh, these these um, applications and we yeah. are seeing that some of the men in the hotels are being quietly released no one no publicity no one is talking about it but they do understand now that, that they can no longer, um, keep you know keep these men in prison for no reason at all. So, so we do see that politicians understand that this is a critical issue and needs to be dealt with. We just need to keep putting pressure on them to make sure it's done quickly.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that um, summary around what's been going on and also the political backstory to all of it as well. And for listeners who are interested, how can they follow and support this campaign?
7: Yes, thank you. So look, um, log on to backyourneighbour.com.au and there's some actions there around signing a, pol- a petition. You can also send um, uh, a templated letters off to your local members. You know, ring your, ring your MP. We're in a pre-election uh, time. This is when we have the ear of our politicians. You know, give them a call, write them a letter. It actually does work. Um, and uh, you know, join our campaign. We'd welcome your support. Um, this is You know, Australians don't support the persecution of good people. Uh, We know that we're better than that. So please join us and we would welcome your
0: support. No, thank you so much um, for joining us this morning, um, Councillor Runda, And um, for listeners who are interested, definitely follow the Back Your Neighbour campaign. Thanks again. Thank you so much. You're listening to 3 ci 855 AM, and we just heard from Councillor Rhonda Garrett, who is the Councillor for Greater Dandenong Council in the Keysborough South Ward. They are a health professional currently working as a lecturer and researcher at Monash University with a PhD in health policy, and they joined us today to discuss the 2022 federal budget and asylum seeker intake. And as they mentioned, um, we are coming up to an election, and it's now very, very important for us to... Contact our local council members, contact our local representatives and voice our concerns so that we can see change in the community. To enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple.
7: Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.com. Org, a 3CR supporter.
5: Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? you on community radio stations around Australia. Produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne.
7: Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and
6: workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else.
9: Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs.
6: Anything
8: nasty online seems to be targeted against women.
9: Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal.
7: You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again
9: to Lost in Science.
1: And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been
8: listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network.
6: Hello and welcome to Accentive Women.
4: Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play.
5: Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.
0: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM and this has been a real stellar Line up of a show i don't know if those are correct words to put together but it's been an amazing show and i hope you all enjoyed it um but maybe we'll do just a quick rundown of what we covered today
1: yeah absolutely i can i'll cover what um what I did for today's show. So, um, Whit Gari joined us again to speak about the Beyond Bricks and Bars Trans and Gender Diverse Decarceration Project, which is continuing to fundraise to support vital work with trans and gender diverse people impacted by the criminal punishment system and also to reflect on trans liberation and abolition on Transgender Day of Visibility. And you can donate to Beyond Bricks and Bars by looking up Beyond Bricks and Bars on shaft.org.au. You can also check out and donate to the Incarcerated Trans and Gender 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 diverse community fund by looking up incarcerated, trans and gender diverse community fund on GoFundMe. And that provides uh, vital support for people who are incarcerated to get essentials such as underwear, clothing, that kind of thing. We were also joined by Tishiko King, who's a proud Kalkalag woman with connections to Masika and Badu Islands, and who's the Campaign's Director at SeedMob, who spoke with us about SeedMob's upcoming Heal Country Summit, which is going to be held this weekend to bring together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people from around the country to discuss working towards climate justice. And this summit's going to feature the panel Land Back is a Climate Solution, this Saturday, the 2nd of April, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. AEST, and you can RSVP by heading to SeedMob. Mob socials, and there's heaps of information there.
3: And then I was joined by Enja, who is an artist, producer, and writer who spoke on uh, Puss-Ups Tell Me About It event tomorrow on Friday, the 1st of April. It was actually founded by Enja and 3 very own Marushti. and it's a transitional event that starts off with ri- written and spoken word performances at 5pm, transitioning into a dance party when the sun goes down at 8 at Miscellanea, and you can get tickets via Humanitix or also showing up at the door. And then I was also joined by Thomas Feng, who is a community advocate for anti-racism and young people in Nam. They join us to speak on how young Chinese Australians can navigate conversations with family about politics, particularly important with the federal election coming up. Uh, yeah. Um, and then lastly, we were
0: joined by Councillor Rhonda Garrett, who's the councillor for the Greater Dandenong Council in the Keysborough South Ward. They are a health professional currently working as a lecturer and researcher at Monash University with a PhD in health policy. And they joined us today to discuss the 2022 federal budget and the asylum seeker intake. And you can also follow their work um, by following the Back Your Neighbour campaign. Um, Excellent. But-
1: yeah, this is um, this has been a fantastic show this week and thanks so much for listening. Support trans people today and every day and we'll catch you all next week, hey?
5: Thank you. Thank you. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.